welcome to the skunk pu p maybe that's my new intro p u welcome to the skunk what does that smell get out the tomato juice someone's got to give this dog a bath because he stinks yeah everybody welcome back again to the skunk i am sean i am your host this is the companion podcast to trashskunk.com where there are many articles and increasingly links to the podcast um yeah, so thank you guys for coming back for another uh, another episode. I was going to say another week, but these are kind of coming out like twice a week, sometimes even three times a week if I'm really feeling it. It's all about, is there anything to talk about and how much spare time do I have? <laughs> so yeah, I'm trying to go for like two a week if I can. That seems pretty solid. Uh, no promises though. Sometimes, you know, sometimes grownups get busy and sometimes they can't pursue vanity projects, you know, as much as they'd like to, which means that there will be weeks where you were, we will only have one skunk. I think we all have to agree that's just going to be part of it. Anyway, thanks for coming back. Uh, if you haven't done so yet, go ahead and subscribe. Give us a review in the iTunes store or whatever the hell they're calling that now, Apple Podcasts. That stuff really helps. That really helps a podcast take off. I've learned that over other podcasts I've had, the more reviews you get, uh, the more visible your podcast becomes. It's just sort of the way that it works. So if you like what you hear, do me a favor, go over there and give it a review. Uh, and also tell everybody in your life that you think might get something out of this. Like, hey, there's this guy that just shouts into the abyss for an hour. It's really awesome. You should listen to it. <laughs> All right, I don't shout into the abyss. I sort of like babble into the abyss, but whatever. You know, if you find value in that babble and you are on the other end of the abyss, tell somebody else who might want to be in that abyss. You know, the thing about an abyss is if you get enough people in it, it's no longer an abyss, right? An abyss kind of has to be vast and empty. So let's conquer this abyss together. Let's get some, some more folks. It's working so far. I feel like if I just ask you this every friggin' time, it'll continue to grow. And so far, so good. Anyway, so that's the housekeeping. That's the skunk business. Um, today, I, there's no real necessarily like overarching subject today. It's just the vast amount of lunacy in the news. <laughs> I felt like I could probably sit here and just talk about some of this crazy stuff that's going on in this big blue world of ours. And uh, it would probably be just as good as if I had an, an overarching topic. Now you be the judge of that. I could be totally off about that. But it's it's everything from just what is going on in the real world of Washington, D.C., which would be people discussing the economy and, you know, how we're coming back too hot and too fast, uh, all the way from that to the always entertaining and never enlightening comments from people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and, of course, Matt Gates. Oh, where to begin, folks? Where to begin? I guess the, the good place to begin would be Let's just start with the legitimate stuff. Um, the economy, right? Everybody's talking about the economy. Oh, inflation's coming back. Why, why did we have to have this stimulus, this $2 trillion stimulus? It's caused this runaway inflation and everything is crazy. Oh, settle down, everybody. Settle down. What did you think was going to happen when our economy basically shut down for a year and changed, maybe 13 months or so, and then sort of started turning back on, right? People are getting vaccinated, restaurants are opening back up, travel is happening again. Well, everybody's been pent up, saving money, not doing anything, not going anywhere. And so now, and most importantly, not building anything. And now everybody's allowed to, right? It's like the videos on Black Friday where everyone's lined up outside of Best Buy and they open the doors at, mid at midnight. And all of these crazy people just rush in like the running of the bulls trying to get their hands on whatever electronic gadget is hot that season. And it's just like the Best Buy gets overwhelmed. Things are being torn from the shelves, right? Receipts are flying this way. Something else is flying that way. I don't know, products, whatever. You see blonde moms punching each other out, trying to get the last PlayStation. That's what's happening in our economy right now. And it's really not because of the, the stimulus. The stimulus helped people who couldn't pay their rent. And it also gave people some money to spend, right? Once the doors were open at the Best Buy, everyone's got a check. That's a good thing. But in the short term, it does mean, and this should be obvious to you if you know anything about macroeconomics, it, sh it should mean that there will be a brief period of inflation as demand soars and supply is strained. Um, you know, this is just kind of one-on-one stuff. It's like, yes, no one's been able to really build anything for a year, and all of a sudden, everyone can build, and everyone's got money, and so all the people who build for a living are at the lumberyard buying up the lumber. Now the lumber gets scarce, now the price goes up. That's just, you know, supply and demand. This is how this works. 
over the longer term, over a year or maybe two, uh, you will see things return to normal. And keep in mind also that the suppliers of all of these raw materials, whether it's steel or lumber or anything else, um, they had to shut down for COVID for a lot of the time too. And so they're behind on production. So on one end, you have this extreme demand that is higher than normal. And on the other side, you have a backup in production. There's not as much raw goods to supply to the market as there normally is. So, of course, this causes prices to rise. Uh, but as the production cycle catches up with itself and the people who are in such a rush to consume these raw materials sort of settle down and get their footing again, everything will cool off and come back under control. Um, so... The people who are sort of castigating the Biden administration right now for inflation are doing it either from a lack of uh, honesty or they are just too stupid to understand how economies work because this would have happened with Trump in office. This would have happened with Biden in office. This would have happened with a baboon in a suit in office. Trump, basically. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself on that one. Um, yeah, so this is normal, and if you're out there and you're upset about the economy right now or you're scared, uh, please believe me, there's no reason to be. This is all a good thing. This is the sign of everything entering boom times. And yeah, in the beginning of a boom time, things are a little nutty, right? There, there's a lot of money and a lot of things in demand and people are crazed. So I understand that this is uh, this can be overwhelming and scary for some people, but trust trust the math, trust the science. This is a really good thing. The other cool thing about the supply and demand right now is that beyond just the world of steel and lumber and computer chips and all that stuff that's in short supply is labor. Oh, isn't this an interesting one to watch play out? It's fun to see the uh, that people can't find workers to fill their jobs. They're coming back so hard that companies are, are like dying to hire somebody. There's actually these really hysterical news reports of you know, restaurants are like, we will give you a free meal just to come interview with us. Like, please, we need workers. And they're having a hard time getting anybody. And what's this doing? It's driving up wages. These famous reports now, McDonald's is, is raising its wages to $15. Um, and you really get to see into the hearts of men and women when you watch people react to this. Some people are, you know, in my camp are like, great, good. It's about time you paid people a living wage. And other people are saying... This is atrocious. Poor businesses. Oh, the businesses have to raise their wages. Oh, they're going to have to take more of their profit. And instead of giving it to the shareholders, they're going to have to give it to the people who actually toil and work and, and produce their products. This is horrible. And then other people usually kind of in that same camp will also say the reason that businesses can't find workers is because we're giving out all these damn entitlements, right? It was the stimulus check and it's this uh, unemployment. People are getting an extra couple hundred bucks in unemployment and that means that they don't want to come to work. I think that's a little uh, <laughs> judgmental and silly. And uh, it's, it's just, it shows you how people view other people, right? It's a very conservative thing to just sort of suspiciously eye everybody as being a lazy, feckless layabout who would uh, rather just sit around in a trailer collecting a couple hundred bucks than go make an honest living. Hey, those people are out there. Most people are not like that. And it is very telling in my mind um, when you see what people are suspicious of other people doing, a lot of the time that is what's going on in their head. Like... <laughs> If you're always worried that everybody's cheating and everybody's breaking rules, maybe that's what you want to do. You know, it's like the reason that a, a lot of people hate government regulations on business and then turn around and cheat on their taxes and stuff. It's like, okay, well, I understand why you don't like rules because you love to break them. So the regulations are a real pain in your ass um, because now you have to play by rules and you would rather cheat. So in this way, I think when you see pointing to, uh, to uh, the situation with um you know, job demand being so high or employment demand being so high. And everyone's just like, well, it's because these people are unemployed. That's why nobody can get anyone hired. It's like, well, maybe you're the lazy POS here. I don't really see the connection. And look, even if it's true that there are some people out there who are making more money on unemployment than they are at work, well, then that says a lot about the business itself, right? Maybe you should be raising your wages. If people are making more money not working than, than working for you, you're not paying enough. Sorry, why would somebody go stand around a restaurant kitchen washing dishes for 12 hours a day when they can easily sit on the couch and make a hundred more dollars that week? Raise your wages. 
You know, sorry guys, I know that you're making a profit. And if you're not, then that's a business problem for you. You need to fix the way that you run your business. This is just the way that it is. You know, for so long, we have seen the cost of living go up and we've seen corporate profits go up and wages sit stagnant. So I don't want to hear that they can't afford to do it. It's just not true. So when you see restaurants like Applebee's offering free entrees just to come in for an interview, or you see places like McDonald's uh, offering $15 minimum wages and people across the board offering to raise wages just to get employees in, uh, don't feel bad for them. Remember that they could have given these wages all along. <laughs> they're, they're being forced into this, and this is the market at work. If you love free markets, like so many of you do, this is the market at work. It's supply and demand. It's the same thing as lumber, right? If everybody's trying to buy lumber, the price goes up. If everybody's trying to hire workers, well, the price goes up, baby, because if you're paying $7 over here and over here they're paying $15, i am not going to come work for you. Sorry. I'm going to go for the 15 bucks. It's more money. What would you do in my shoes? No, I think this is a fantastic thing. And really, please don't tell me that McDonald's doesn't have the money to pay its people $15. That's, that's appropriate. They should be making that. In fact, I think places like In-N-Out Burger in California and a few other states that it exists have long paid their uh, employees like $15 to $20 an hour. They do great. And what happens when you go into In-N-Out? Everybody's extremely professional. It's very clean. Everyone is friendly and hardworking. It's a little different than the roadside McDonald's that we're all used to, where the bleary-eyed, sad man. It's like going into a McDonald's sometimes and observing the employees in the past has felt like going to a uh, third world zoo. You go in and the animals all look sick and starving, like the leopard is hacking up vomit and you can see its rib cage. Well, that's how you feel when you go observe the working conditions in a McDonald's somewhere off the interstate. It's like, oh, these poor people. It smells like shit in here. This is supposed to be a restaurant. No, I think that it's one of these things where you get what you pay for. If people are making a living wage and they're happy to be there and they feel valued, uh, your restaurant will be more appealing. It will not have the vibe of a foreign zoo where the animals are sick. It will feel like In-N-Out Burger where people are like, I'm stoked on this job. I love hamburgers, I love french fries, and I'm making good money. <laughs> like, what's not to love here? Honestly, I wouldn't mind. Don't hold me to this. I could do a week working at In-N-Out Burger, doing the fry fryer, flipping the burgers, taking the orders. If the money was there, why the hell not? Look, work is always work. It's so funny. I run into this sometimes with people on my own uh, shows who maybe it's been a tough week shooting something and they're tired and they want to question like, why do we have to shoot this now? Ugh, this is really like, this feels so pointless. I know that we shoot all this stuff and only some of it gets used and like, I feel like we shouldn't have to do that. And it's like, hey, listen, buddy. It's called work for a reason, you know, like we're here to shoot stuff and then we hand it off to other people and they do what they want with it. Uh, we're not really being paid to think about their job. We're being paid to do the shooting part at this particular moment. So let's just take care of that, shall we? Like this isn't a, a personal project where we get to really make all the decisions and decide uh, what's worth doing and what's not. We're all getting paid to be here. We're all getting paid to turn on cameras and film stuff. Let's turn on cameras and film stuff. And I know that we're tired and I know that it sucks, but guess what? This is our job. It, it, exactly. So the, especially a lot of these people are making good money. So it's especially like, guys, come on, do you want to go work at the Burger King and make $7 an hour and still feel unfulfilled and like you don't understand what the decisions are being made and why and who's making them? Like, no, if you have a good job, be happy about it, you know, and, and paying people well goes a long way towards their happiness. That's my point here is like having a good income stream and feeling valuable at a company produces better products because they're being made by better people. This is almost like the old uh, ad campaign. I think it was from, uh, from milk or for cheese or some dairy, but it's like, good, good milk comes from happy cows, and happy cows come from California. Moo. Yeah, well, good products come from happy workers, and happy workers come from wherever they're getting paid well. So just think about that, McDonald's and everybody else who's mad at the labor shortage and thinks that this is an entitlement issue, which it is not. Um, it is amazing to me to see how many Americans don't want other Americans to have a chance to get by or to get their hands on a couple bucks or to be happy. Like the idea that somewhere out there, a single mom lost her job during COVID and has no other income stream. And now she really counts on that extra unemployment to find her footing, especially as the world is opening back up and she's absolutely looking for more work, but she still has bills to pay and she has a kid or two with mouths to feed. 
And you're not worried about her. You're worried about somewhere there's this imaginary welfare queen who may be uh, choosing to stay in her trailer instead of find a job because, like I said earlier, she makes $100 more here than she makes at Walmart. So she's like, I just won't work. You're more upset about that woman potentially gaming the system than you are about the woman who's actually benefiting from this stuff, and it is vital to her survival. It's called... I don't remember the exact term for it, but basically everything that is good, there's always going to be a percentage of it that's bad. Like even in a store, you might be selling 99% of your products and 1% of them are getting shoplifted and stolen. Like this is just an accepted part of retail. Every store knows that there will be some degree of loss of inventory due to theft. Well, the same thing with a social program. For for all the 99% of people that are depending on this help and this assistance, there will always be 1% that are taking advantage of it. How can you look at the 1% and say, let's just get rid of the whole thing. This one person over here is taking an extra piece of candy out of the jar. Let's get rid of the candy jar. Well, if you hate people, that's how you feel. If you love people, uh, that's an abhorrent philosophy. You can take a guess what camp I'm in. That's just sort of the funny thing about all these people who love free markets you know, which which have their place and, and are great. But everybody who is sort of this like economic libertarian who thinks that uh, the market must always be the decider of everything and we must never interfere with it uh, because tinkering with it is wrong. Like the market is omnipotent. It will always figure itself out. Well, these are the same people that then turn around and see a, a shortage of labor and immediately want to tinker with it and play with it. It's, you know, it's like, oh, so when it's uh, profits and things are going good for you personally, leave the market alone. Uh, but the minute that, uh, you know, there's a shortage of labor and people are getting their ra- wages raised and stuff, and now you're like, hold on, put the brakes on this free market economy. What's going on here? Hold on, let's, let's stop down the train and open up the engine bay. Something's going on that we need to fix. Yeah. You don't believe in free markets. You only believe in things going well for you. And in this moment, you are admitting that sometimes a little market interference from the government is a good thing, except you're just taking the least humanist, humanistic side of it that you can because you're a greedy monster or whatever you are, you know, a free market capitalist. Same thing. So that's the, that's the sort of serious stuff I wanted to talk about, the economy and sort of clearing up a little bit of the silliness around this uh, labor shortage and inflation and the things that people are getting red in the face about that if you have a, a broader understanding of it, it's just sort of nothing to worry about at all. If anything, it's good. You know, I'd like to come out the other end of this pandemic and see people making more money and see uh, our economy doing better. You know, the inflation will subside. Chill out. It would be far worse if things were going in the other direction, right? People were complaining last year because the economy wasn't entering a boom. It was entering a decline, a tailspin. Would you rather have that? No, I don't think that you would. None of us would. So pipe down, strap in, and enjoy the ride. Things are about to get great. In fact, now is a wonderful time for you to invest in the stock market. Get in there, baby. (laughs) All right. So uh, the funny thing about this, it kind of leads me to my next thing, is that uh, Mitch McConnell has made some comments recently saying that he is devoting the next four years to basically trying to obstruct and block 100% of the Biden administration's agenda. As if he even had to say that out loud, right? Like, the funny thing to me about Mitch McConnell since Biden won this presidency is he has been making threat after threat, like, you better not do this, or you just wait and see what happens when I'm back in control. You know, like when we stripped, I think it was Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, got stripped of any committee seats that she may have had um, by a vote that basically was cast by the Democrats, who have the majority in the House, when Mitch McConnell said, this sets an awful president, and you just wait, we're going to start obstructing everything you do, and we're going to like play really hardball with you guys, and there goes bipartisanship. And it's like, Mitch, you can't threaten me with something you already do every day, buddy. Like, come on, this is the gardener threatening to cut my grass. You spent your entire career obstructing and being a pain in the ass and breaking rules and doing one thing, you know, uh, saying, oh, Obama, you can't uh, install a Supreme Court justice in your final year of the presidency and, and blocking Merrick Garland from becoming a Supreme Court justice and then turn around in the very next presidency and let Trump do it in the last couple months of his presidency. Like this is outright hypocrisy and ridiculousness and you pretending that this is a line that we're making you cross now because we're doing what we were voted in to do, 
just shut up. <laughs> Mitch McConnell threatening to obstruct and block legislation is literally like the sun threatening to warm your face. Like, this is just the nature of Mitch McConnell. It's what he always does, and the threat is hollow because we already knew that he was going to do that anyway. <laughs> Dude, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What's more worrying than Mitch McConnell threatened to, threatening to be a legislative uh, stoppage is the voter suppression laws that are being passed in several Republican states that, you know, they noticed were a lot bluer than they usually are in the last election. So what are they going to do? Well, not push the Republican agenda harder and not say, OK, well, why are we losing voters? Maybe we need to, like, freshen up our brand. Maybe we need to um, find a, a way for people to get excited about conservatism and excited about the Republican Party's ideas. No, that's not what they're going to do at all. They're going to continue to have no ideas, and they're just going to find ways to stop uh, black and brown people from voting and make it you know, really easy for white rural Christians to vote and really, really hard for everyone else to. Um, that's, that's, the, that's the most undemocratic thing I can imagine, right? In a free market of ideas, the winner should be the person with the best ideas. And again, these are the free market people. You would think they would understand this. The winner should be I'm the person with the best ideas. I'm selling you my brand as a Republican politician. Vote for me because I will do X, Y, and Z. I'll get a Snapple machine in every elementary school, whatever it is that you're running on. No, instead it's like, oh, how do I win? Let's just cheat. How about that? That seems like the easiest way forward. We know this is because Republicans have no real ideas and they don't want to change anything unless it's getting rid of rules and you know regressing. So they have a hard time thinking, how do I sell that to people? Instead, it's just, let's cheat. You know, I, they famously don't like coming up with ideas to begin with, so this is their solution. Let's just make the rules in such a way through redrawing voter districts and gerrymandering and also passing voter suppression laws that don't allow people to vote by mail or you have to have an ID to vote or a driver's license when plenty of people don't have either of those things. Um, or like in Georgia where they have this new horrible law where you... They basically are trying to make as few voting places as possible so that the lines are as long as possible and then make it illegal to hand out water to people standing in line to vote. It's like, does anybody see something like that and really believe this is strengthening democracy? Like, don't we want more people to vote and participate in our democracy? You know, only 66% of eligible voters turned out for the last election. 66%. There's almost a whole other half of the country here that's not voting. By the way, this is a funny thing I saw uh, an argument about online, which someone was just so obviously wrong about, but I, it's an easy thing to be confused about. The idea was this. Half of the country voted for Donald Trump. That's not true. It's not true at all, because only 66% of the country voted to begin with, and less than half of those people voted for Donald Trump. So really, maybe it's a little closer to 25 to 30% of the country voted for Donald Trump. Don't be tricked into thinking half the country voted for him when only half the country voted to begin with, and only half of that, well, less than half of that, voted for Trump. So the math is off there. Anyway, the point being that if only 66% of eligible voters are voting, why are we trying to make it harder to vote? We need more people to be participating in democracy. This is vital. Um, the excuses used for voter suppression are always like, well, we need people with IDs only to vote. You know, we need this and that because we're worried about all this, like, people are cheating on the vote. There's, uh, there's voter fraud going on. An interesting claim, show me the proof. Like, you, you're making all these claims about voter fraud being a huge problem, and yet every time we investigate these elections, there's almost no fraud found. I said on another one of these episodes that... They looked into uh, into all the alleged fraud around the 2020 election. There's 60 lawsuits over it from the Trump team. And they only found one case of fraud, and it was a Trump voter who voted like twice for Trump. So what are you guys talking about? This is a, not a problem. You know, voter fraud is a specter. It's a imaginary monster under the bed that Republicans are trying to scare their base with, right? But it doesn't exist. Here's the, the crazy thing about America today. Voter fraud is, is like a lightning strike. It is very, very rare. But voter suppression is extremely common and only getting worse. If you're worried about the future elections of America, you should be worried about voter suppression, not voter fraud. Like, you realize we've been having elections for hundreds of years in this country, right? Like We've got the voters, the, the, the fraud security down pretty well. Like we've, we really figured out how to make voting 
safe and accurate. What we're still struggling with is getting people to vote and having access to voting and making it easy. Like, I, it still boggles my mind that uh, elections aren't a national holiday, right? It should be mandatory that it's a holiday and that you can get off work to vote because it is so vital to the way that our government runs and the way that our system functions that everybody votes. But instead, curiously, we are increasingly trying to make it more of a pain in the ass and more difficult. And, you know, the Republicans are relying on the fact that most Americans are just sick to death of politics and they feel like the government is stagnant and nothing is happening. And no matter what, you know, whether they vote or not, it's all going to be the same thing. Well, they need the voter on we like that to continue um, because the only people who reliably vote every single time are white, old Christian people. You know, they'll vote no matter what. It's the rest of us who feel like the government does enough for us. And so why should we vote? Like, that's the struggle here. Anyway, so Mitch McConnell, his BS about obstructing things and voter suppression, both very troubling. Mitch more so because that's just funny. But the voter suppression thing is very real and it should scare all of us. I'm not sure what to do about it. Hopefully, uh, legislators at the federal level will recognize what's going on and do something about it. Now, there's a whole other episode I want to do about states' rights in the future. I feel like maybe we talk a little bit more about that there. So with that sort of on the side of the road for the moment, uh, there is something else that happened in Washington, D.C. that is very alarming and annoying uh, this week, which is that the Senate voted not to have... Uh, an investigation into the January 6th riot or insurrection or totally normal guided tour, as they said. <laughs> the Republicans said it was basically no different than a guided tour. Uh, right, right. That's what every day looks like at the Capitol building, right? Thousands of rednecks armed with Trump flags just kicking down the chamber doors and ransacking lawmakers' offices. That's every day. That's just how we do tours around here. It's funny, they, I think they'll... The um, member of Congress who said that, the Republican member of Congress who said this was a normal tour and nothing to worry about, was photographed on January 6th, like, barricading a door with furniture. <laughs> it's, it's, like, just such an obvious lie. Um, but anyway, so the vote was, I think, I want to say 54 to 35 against having an independent investigation into the January 6th insurrection. 54 to 35, and it didn't pass. Like, the Senate is frustrating because on a lot of these things, you need 60 senators to vote for it. You need basically uh, more than just a slight majority. So it's amazing that 54 people could vote for something and lose to 35 people who voted against it. Like, that seems really broken, but that's how the Senate works. This is why so much doesn't get done in Washington, D.C. The rules are janky. So even though 54 uh, out of 100 senators voted for, uh, for an investigation, 35 voted against it, and several didn't even bother to show up at all, uh, it, it failed. So now there will really be no Senate independent investigation of the January 6th insurrection. It should go without saying who voted for what, right? Uh, Democrats and several Republicans voted for an investigation, and then the majority of insane Republicans voted against it, because why? Well, because they know that it was Republicans that were responsible for this. <laughs> they know that it was Trump supporters who did it, and it looks bad for them to have an investigation confirm that. Which is stupid, because we all saw it with our own two eyes, right? What's important to know isn't just to say, oh, this was Republicans you know, who staged this insurrection. The reason an investigation is important is to find out how and who and how much coordination there was. Like, was this a spontaneous uh, sort of gathering that got out of control? Or were there people who were texting and coordinating? Did they have plans to actually, you know, get in there and, and kill people like, like, like they were saying out loud on camera outside of the Capitol building? It's important to know who was really behind it, how planned was it, and what were their goals, right? It, it, it would be very different to learn that it was just something that got out of control and that none of those people really had any plans to do anything bad and it just kind of got crazy. That would be very different than finding out that there were militants and proud boys and agitators who had long planned exactly what they were going to do and they had hit lists of targets and blah, blah, blah. These would be different scenarios and it is vital that we find out um, what the truth is and also how to protect our future election certifications and the Capitol building in general. It would be important to investigate this and find out how to prevent it from ever happening again. You would think, as people who work in the Capitol building, 
They, more than anybody, would want this investigated, but no. What's frustrating to me, aside from the bald-faced hypocrisy of it, is just, we spent, we, there was 10 Senate investigations into Benghazi, right? Which was an embassy that got stormed in North Africa uh, that resulted in the deaths of four people, four Americans. Well, five people died in the Capitol insurrection, and it was literally an attack, not just on our embassy in a foreign country, on our literal capital. So if we investigated Benghazi 10 times to the tune of millions and millions and millions of dollars, by the way, nothing was ever turned up um, from those investigations. Uh, if we did that 10 times, why wouldn't we want to do an attack on our literal capital one time? Can we just get one investigation? Uh, no. The same people who voted to, or not voted, but the, who conducted and pushed for these 10 Benghazi investigations, the very same people are voting against an investigation into the January 6th insurrection. Wrap your head around that. It's crazy until you remember that these people just basically have no morals. <laughs> they are completely comfortable being hypocrites, you know? It's people, again, like Mitch McConnell, who can tell one president, you're not allowed to seat a Supreme Court justice in your last year, and then turn right around and, and say to his own party's president, oh, but you can. Yeah, you've only got a couple months left. Sure, let's get a Supreme Court justice in here. These people are completely comfortable being hypocrites in public. They do not care. They have no moral compass no ethics, no sense of honor or dignity or fair play. And that's what's up here. You know, January 6th, I'm sure that there will be a continued push for some sort of an investigation um, by the Democrats, but this was the best chance for a really good, broad, bipartisan look at what happened, and it just got killed. Welcome to Washington, where up is down and black is white and everything is crazy and everyone's an a-hole. You know, this is why we're always so obsessed. You know, it's, it's unfortunate that these are the people who are in control of our lives and our government. Um, this is why we're obsessed with it, you know, because it is such a circus to look at. And the consequences are so huge for us. It's, it's frustrating. But what did you expect? You know, did you really think that the people who are so staunchly um, still believing Trump is the president would vote to investigate a Trump riot at the Capitol? No, of course they wouldn't, because like I said, they know that it just looks bad for them when we discover they're all responsible for it. Anyway, that's crazy. A slightly more lighthearted incident out of Washington this week was everyone's favorite lady, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who looks to me like Dog the Bounty Hunter if he looked even rougher than he already does, said something to the effect of, you know, having to wear a mask is just like what Nazi Germany did to the Jews because they had to wear yellow stars on their sleeves to identify them as Jews before they were marched off to death camps. This came out of Marjorie Taylor Greene's mouth. And of course, predictably, everybody said, what an atrocious thing to say. Like, did you just compare wearing a mask into Home Depot to being a Jew in the Holocaust, lady? Are you serious right now? <laughs> And so what did Marjorie Taylor Greene do after this became a controversial statement and, you know, everybody was furious and it was all over the news and Twitter? Well, she did exactly what you think Marjorie Taylor Greene would do. She doubled down on it and said, you're goddamn right, that's what I said. It is exactly like being a Jew in the Holocaust. Having to wear this mask into a retail store is oppression of the highest order and it is one step away from being marched into a concentration camp. Wow. I don't even know what to say to that. Here's the thing about Marjorie Taylor Greene, or as, as some Twitter person called her, Marjorie Trailer Queen, which is, you know, <laughs> lowbrow, but really funny nonetheless. The thing about her is that I think we're increasingly noticing she's just an attention troll. This is a woman who has no real ideas, who has no real education, uh, serves no real purpose. She's not in Congress to get anything done for her constituents, right? She's there to be a vocal, obnoxious, trolling pain in the ass. This is increasingly the sort of the conservative way of governing. It's like, we don't have ideas. All we want is somebody to go yell at and humiliate AOC and Nancy Pelosi. We want someone there who's just going to make life difficult for Democrats. That's our platform now. It's not that Marjorie Taylor Greene has anything great for her district in Georgia that she promised to get done, you know. Here's the problems in my district, and here's how I'm going to solve them. Elect me. That's not what happened at all. 
People elected her because she said, I'm going to go to Congress and scream at everybody and push the QAnon conspiracy theory and just be a general pain in the ass, right? She has videos of herself following and stalking and harassing um, David Hogg, I think his name is, the Parkland school shooting survivor. You know, she hunted this poor kid down and followed him around yelling that it was a hoax and that he is a piece of shit because he's pushing for gun control now after watching his classmates get mowed down. Um, what kind of a person would do that, right? Find someone who survived a mass shooting and go harass them <laughs> on camera and then use that as your platform for running for Congress? Look at me. I found someone who survived a mass murder and I went and harassed them. Vote for me. <laughs> and Georgians voted for her. She won that election. I mean, I don't know who she ran against, but can you imagine being that person? Watching the votes come in and you're like, you've got to be kidding me, right? Like, I'm less palatable than Marjorie Taylor Greene? What did I do? <laughs> what did, I've never harassed a, a survivor of a mass murder, but they, she won over me? God, what a crushing blow. Like, you think that Hillary, imagine what it felt like to lose to Donald Trump and then put yourself in the shoes of the person who lost to Marjorie Taylor Greene and it's somehow even worse. Oh my God, at least Hillary has a long track record of being involved in things that people don't like. You know, you can understand in a way why she was not the right candidate for the time. But whoever ran against Marjorie Taylor Greene must be looking in the mirror going like, what can I do better? Like, if this wild animal <laughs> won an election over me, I really need to do some soul searching. I don't know who this person is, but I will say this. It's not you, ma'am or sir. It's not you. It's the fact that the people in that district in Georgia are so embittered and angry at Democrats that they don't want whatever your solutions are. They want this insane person to go to Congress and cause a ruckus and obstruct Democrats and be a general pain in the ass. Not to legislate, not to do anything good for you, just to go there and scream in AOC's face. That's the platform they want. They want to see a socialist get yelled at by trailer trash. You know, <laughs> that's pretty much what this is. Oh, man. So that's all she's doing. And, and for me... I have really had to think before I wanted to bring her up on this show again, because that sort of person thrives on our outrage at her, right? It's like, that's her whole game, is to get people like me and way, way, way more prominent people than me, obviously, I just am a guy with a podcast, but people on the news, CNN or in the New York Times, to be talking about her. It elevates her profile, it raises her brand. And in a sick and distorted way, it actually does exactly what she promised her constituents would happen, you know? I'm going to go and be so nasty and so mean to the Democrats that it will elevate me uh, to be a rock star politician and you get to be the people who I represent. And she's doing it. Every time we give her attention for these stunts, that's exactly what's happening. So there's two ways to look at it. It's like Republicans like her thrive on good people's indignance and outrage. That is like, you know, uh, water to them. They they drink it. They are thirsty for more. And the more indignant you are at their behavior, the happier they are, the more, you know, fulfilled they are. So the right reaction to someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene is not to be outraged at her obviously unacceptable behavior. It's just a laugh at her, you know? Mock mockery is okay, I think. And mocking and then moving right along. Like, don't give her too much attention. Just looking and be like, what a fucking idiot. This person is a total idiot. Wow. Anyway, moving along. <laughs> That's all you can do. And it's funny because it's a bunch of a uh, pain. Lauren Boebert, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's sort of fellow traveler on her journey to be an ignorant pain in the ass in the chambers of government. Uh, Lauren Boebert, you know, again, the woman who wanted to famously bring her Glock to Congress and uh, has no high school education, yet has somehow found herself an elected member of Congress. Um, she said something this week that was sort of in the Marjorie Taylor Greene universe of trying to get attention, which was, she tweeted, my pronoun is patriot. Okay, well, <sighs> patriot is not a pronoun, first of all, but I wouldn't expect someone who never graduated high school to know this. Uh, she, her, he, him, they, those are pronouns. <laughs> Patriot is just a noun, Lauren. It's just a noun. But of course, it's not really about the grammar here, although everybody mocked her for that immediately. It's about the fact that it's this empty right-wing talk, this language of patriotism, freedom, you know, 
that that means nothing. And it's obviously a dig and a slap in the face to transgendered people who conservatives think shouldn't exist and are just crazy people. So what, like, my my pronoun is patriot. So you're just saying, okay, everybody can be whatever they want, apparently, whether it's a her or a him. Well, I'm just a normal patriot who believes in my country. This is such a useless expression. Again, it means nothing, really. It's like, well, I guess we're all patriot. Like, if you live in America and you like living here, you're pretty much a patriot. That that means nothing. That's just stupid language that stupid people can latch onto. And second of all, this is just you trying to get attention. This doesn't mean anything. You know, the outrageous tweets that the right wing get mad about from AOC are almost always tied to something intelligent that she's expressing that she wants to try to get done at her job as a legislator, right? When she tweets about the Green New Deal, this is why we need, you know, clean energy, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to introduce a bill tomorrow for this and that and that. Well, those are the tweets from AOC that get everybody really pissed off on the right. So as mad as they get, there's actual substance to that. Um, Meanwhile, the copycats on their side, the Lauren Boberts and the Marjorie Taylor Greens, are simply saying nothing of substance, but just going for the outrage part. You know, just going for the part that gets everybody mad at them without actually having the ideas. <laughs> no, there's nothing that Lauren Boebert's proposing that's insane. She's just saying something offensive just to be offensive, right? It's not like, I'm going to propose a bill tomorrow to get rid of transgendered people in the military or whatever. Like, even that, that would be abhorrent, but that would be an actual idea that pertains to her job. Tweeting out my pronoun is patriot is just the lowest common denominator appeal to people who harbor ill will towards transgendered people and have uh, some sort of an erotic fetish for the American flag. We've all seen the patriots in America. We know what they look like. And I, I said we're all patriots, but you know who I'm talking about. The militia gun-toting, flag-shirt-wearing patriot is, is a step above. But that is hollow patriotism, isn't it? The people in this country who wear you know, hats with American flags on them and hang huge American flags off the back of their trucks and drive around with pro-Second Amendment shirts on and all this patriot language and stuff like that. This is hollow patriotism. This is not real patriotism. These people just like dressing up in the costume of patriotism. But at the end of the day, if you ask them to do something to help their fellow citizens or to vote for things that would benefit the greater country as a whole, these are the first people that want to shoot it down, right? Owning a gun and defending your right to a gun against everything else in life uh, and then turning around and not wanting people to have access to education or health care, you don't want to pay for fixing crumbling roads, you know, you don't care that a town like Flint Uh, has dirty drinking water and has for years and can't get it cleaned up and you want everything privatized and profit-driven and, you know, the cost of living all passed on to poor people so that rich people can get a tax cut. That's not patriotism. What, just because you get to own your gun? That's the only thing that matters to you? Oh, and I'm sorry, you have the T-shirt. How did I not see it, sir? No, clearly you are a patriot. (laughs) There's the flag right there. It's empty. It's stupid. It's meaningless. That's why I think the language of patriotism is so cringeworthy. Like, you don't really hear that a lot on the left because we recognize that real patriotism is just getting things done and being proud of the country because you've gotten things done, not just because you own the costume. You know, if you're you're not doing good things for your country and you're letting it fall apart and you hate your fellow citizens, you're not really a patriot. I don't care how many flag t-shirts you own. I don't care how many flags are hanging off the back of your truck or what bumper stickers are on there that's talking about the military and the Second Amendment. You're not a patriot. You're just an individualist who loves guns and uh, identifies strongly with the red, white, and blue flag. <laughs> you, found, you found an outfit that you like. It's, it's very, very weird to me. And on the topic, I guess, of Second Amendment people and uh, blowhards and professional trolls... There is a third person who made some outrageous statements this week in Washington that got a lot of press, and that is, of course, our old buddy, Matt Gaetz. Oh, Matt Gaetz. Matt Gaetz, right after a shooter killed like 11 or 12 of his co-workers in Silicon Valley this week, decided to take the stage at one of his rallies with Marjorie Taylor Greene and make some statements to the effect of, 
you know, we're really sick of uh, the tech industry canceling conservatives because that is, of course, the endless refrain we hear from that side of the aisle now. We're being canceled, even as you are speaking into a microphone and having your statements broadcast on national news. Somehow you're being censored, canceled. I, I don't understand that. But whatever, that's that's the line that's going on. Silicon Valley and the tech industry are canceling conservatives, and I think that it's about time we uh, exercise our Second Amendment rights to put a stop to it. What? Okay, so you're advocating shooting who? You, if someone just walks into Twitter and opens fire, that's how you want to fix your perceived problem of cancellation? This is really dangerous language to be using. That is stochastic terrorism, you know? That is incitement to violence. I'm amazed that Matt Gates isn't in more trouble for this. Um, people are obviously outraged and it's all over the news, but that is a very real incitement to violence. And he could find himself in serious trouble if anyone takes him up on it, right? It's the same thing with Trump whipping up the rioters on January 6th and then having them go actually commit acts of violence based on his words. Well, if someone was to walk into Facebook and start shooting people tomorrow and cite Matt Gaetz's, you know, as a political leader, he said, I need to exercise my Second Amendment, right, to uh, stop tech from picking on me. He could find himself in trouble for that. He won't, <laughs> of course. That's not going to happen because you see how these people are protected by their own. But it's amazing to me that it, the perception of being canceled is so strong on that side of the aisle that some of these people are, are literally willing to suggest that we pick up guns and start shooting tech workers over this. It's unreal. And it's also a false perception. You know, if anything, I think social media is extremely lenient with conservatives and they are bizarre QAnon claims and spreading of misinformation and language like that, right? Incitement to violence and uh, demonizing people and suggesting that certain people be shot or bombed or killed. I feel like, if anything, Twitter and Facebook are letting too much of that fly. And it's not that that should be censored because it's conservative thought. It's because it's incitement to violence and it's misinformation. You know, that's the stuff that I think we're learning how to grapple with as a society when it comes to social media and how much of that stuff gets fact-checked. What do you do when someone like Donald Trump, who is now no longer on Twitter, but when he would go on there and tell lies, political lies in public? Well, what's Twitter's role in this? You know, is Twitter supposed to just let it fly because this is a free information economy and people can just make whatever false claims they want? Or is Twitter supposed to delete the post if it's fact-checked as wrong and now Donald Trump is being censored? Or is Twitter supposed to do what they did, which is it took them forever to arrive at this obvious conclusion, but they would just attach uh, a post to Donald Trump's false claims and say, this is false. We're going to leave it up for you. But just so you know, what he just said is not true. That's fair. That seems fair enough. Of course, Donald being Donald had to push it far enough that they wound up banning him altogether. Uh, four years too late, if you ask me, but whatever. <laughs> it's been amazingly quiet ever since, hasn't it? It's been so lovely not to have to turn on the news and see that man's tweets. Oh, it's like a long, cool drink of water after a week of walking in the desert. It is just so refreshing. What's funny too is Donald Trump, <laughs> I can't believe I haven't talked about this yet. Donald Trump, uh, frustrated with his lack of access to Twitter, uh, decided to start his own social media app and said he was developing that for a while. And when he came out with it, what was it? It was just a blog. No different than Trashskunk.com, where Donald Trump now just blogs uh, like live journal posts from 2005. And it's not that popular. It's amazing, actually. Like, no one really gives a crap what Donald's writing on there. There's some magic to Twitter that is just missing from Donald Trump having a blog. There's the millions of followers that he had that he can't just automatically get back when he moves it to a different platform. I mean, Twitter has the built-in infrastructure of people already using it and interacting with it. And once you remove Donald from that ecosystem, he just doesn't have the same pull. Like, yeah, the guy can still write stuff on the internet, but there's something about being connected to the social media that everyone else is actually using that has completely neutered him for the moment. Now, never count that guy out. He's a cockroach. He might be back for us again in four years. But not being on Twitter has been very, very refreshing. Don't we all agree? It seems a lot quieter around here since he's been gone. And I think that this is, a, is it ties into what I'm talking about because 
there are people who are now vying to fill that silence. And these are the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Matt Gateses and the Lauren Boberts of the world, right? The biggest predator on the Serengeti has been silenced, and now all the hyenas are making as much noise as they can, hoping to be the new lion. I don't think it's going to work, you know? There, there is, as much as I dislike the guy, there's a magic about Donald Trump that these other people just feel like imitators too. you know? Donald Trump is certainly easily as dumb as Marjorie Taylor Greene, but he just has the original brand of being that loudmouth, stupid guy, and she just comes off like a cheap imitation. She's just missing the magic of Trump. And Trump, maybe one of his, his talents that, that Marjorie Taylor Greene can't quite imitate is that he is an exceptionally good bully. His insults are simple and, and poor and stupid, but they have the schoolyard bully magic to them. Marjorie Taylor Greene just comes off like an unhinged Karen ranting in a Target, you know, at the cashier about uh, a price tag on a sweater. Like, that's just, it, it's not the schoolyard bully, it's the obnoxious person who's just being a pain in the ass in a retail store. It's, it's very different. People are sort of attracted to the bully. The bully always has his, uh, his sycophants and the kids who look up to him are, are afraid of him, but also kind of like him. There's a weird charm to his mean spiritedness that everyone wants to laugh at who he's teasing, but they're secretly afraid that he's going to turn on them. I think you'd agree that is exactly who Trump is in the modern playground of the Republican party. He's the big bully and everyone likes the charm of the bully and is also terrified of what happens when he bullies them. You can see that's exactly what's going on. Marjorie Taylor Greene is just sort of a pissant, you know? She's a freshman congressman. No one knows who she is. She's being as loud and crazy as she, as she thinks she can be to get attention. But she lacks the clout. And she's just not that threatening. She just comes off as an unhinged person. And Lauren Boebert, sort of similar. She's just a little bit less aggressive. And she has more of a Sarah Palin vibe to her, which is like not only does she physically resemble Sarah Palin, but she's going for more of a, um, like... I'm a, I'm a mom and a conservative, and I wear my gun to Walmart every day, and I think this is a perfectly normal American way, and I'm standing up for that way of life. It's a little less trolly. I mean, it's still trolly, but it's, it's just more yawn-worthy. It doesn't fill the Trump void, again. She's just kind of boring. You know, she's dumb and boring. Um, Matt Gates. Now, here's a guy who might be coming close. He's got, he's got the anger and the vitriol. He's got the scandal. And he's really testing right now to see if he can pull off what Trump has pulled off in the past, which is sex scandals, you know, political corruption and refusing to apologize for it and just saying, yeah, that's who I am and this is how I do business. Trump obviously got away with that. Matt Gates is trying to find out if he can get away with that too. Now, to remind you, it's been disclosed and, and alleged now that Matt Gates has been doing tons of drugs and coke and slept with a minor, you know, slept with some teenager um, and has also just been paying to sex traffic adult women, you know, for drug parties where he's having sex with them as well, alleged to be involved in graft and all kinds of other political corruption. Uh, this should kill any political career. I think you would agree. This is the kind of stuff that is pretty repulsive to most of us. And Matt Gates is, is trying to just say, hey, what if I pull a Donald Trump and just own it and say, yeah, I love drugs. I love having sex with underage kids. And I'm just gonna like, hey, baby, this is who I am. And now I'm going to demonize everyone who's come after me. That is very Trumpian. But even he, I think, falls short of the Donald because Matt Gates isn't the Donald. He's just sort of a repulsive capo to the Donald. You know, he's a, an underling who is an imitator. And, uh, he doesn't have the years and years of being on The Apprentice and the big books and public image from the 80s as a successful billionaire. Like Donald was able to get where he was, despite his obvious personality flaws, because he, he had been in the public eye for so long and a lot of ill-informed people viewed him as successful and therefore intelligent. Americans always think if you're rich, you must also be smart and good at stuff. That's not necessarily true. Money creates more money and Donald inherited... Uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, to my knowledge. It's not that hard to stay rich if you're given that much money. And a lot of people would argue he should actually be richer, right? If he was clever, he would have had even more money than he has now. Um, but the point is that Matt Gates doesn't have any of that. The, the perception that um, a lot of people have of Donald Trump as successful and clever, Matt Gates is, is a nobody. He's only come onto the scene as someone who's a suck-up to Donald Trump. 
And no one has known who he is for that long, except for, oh, that's the guy that sucks up to Donald Trump. He doesn't have the image of success and money and know-how that Donald Trump has for some people. And now he's counting on the little amount of clout he has to see him through a scandal involving sex with a child. Good luck, Matt. I don't think it's going to work for you. We'll see what happens. You know, for now, these are just allegations, even though we've seen a lot of leaked text messages that, if real, confirm that that's what happened. But we have to let the authorities and the investigators do their job. And if Matt Gates really did commit those crimes that he's alleged of, well, let them take care of it. And if he didn't, and this is really important, then okay. If those are false allegations, okay. Matt Gates still a miserable person, but, you know, accusations that big should only be levied at somebody and, and they should only stick if they're true. Like, that's something I think we should all agree we could back off on if the investigation proves Matt Gates didn't do that stuff. But again, I have a feeling he probably did based on the text messages I've seen. So anyway, this episode has been about a lot of things. It's really, I guess if I had to sum it up, it's sort of just like this crazy week in Washington, right? These three loudmouths have made a lot of noise and been a huge pain in the butt for people. Uh, people are concerned about the economy. I hope I explained to you why that's nothing to be concerned about. And then, of course, there's the lamentable uh, decisions about voter suppression and also about the lack of investigation into the most serious attack on our democracy since 9-11. We're not going to look into it. We've had 9-11 commissions. We've had 10 Benghazi, you know, intel committees and investigations. We had uh, an investigation into the JFK murder, but the attack on our capital by a huge mob of people trying to overturn an election and a kill our, um, our elected officials. No, we don't need to look into that. We're good here. That's mind-blowing. That should really, really alarm you, you know, th that the country is going in that direction where we are legitimizing that behavior. If you can do that and not have it investigated and we're going to act like it's not a big deal, oh boy, well, let's see what happens in the next election, you know? Apparently it's okay to just kind of try to take over the Capitol building like we're playing King of the Hill here. And if you can actually get in there, you can overturn the election, you know, and we're not going to look into it. So anyway, that's this crazy week in Washington. I just thought this would be sort of a fun, like almost lower key episode than one where there's a overarching theme and one thing that we're diving deep into. It's just sort of a like, oh my God, let's talk some gossip. <laughs> let's go through this crazy week in news, which is nice to do sometimes, you know, because like I think last episode we talked about the Unabomber and anarcho-primitivism and all this really serious stuff. And once in a while, it's nice to just sit down and have a little talk about, wow, look at all this crazy stuff. Let's have a laugh about it and move on. And, you know, I don't want this going to always be serious, and I don't want it to always be funny. I think it's nice to have a little blend of both, don't you? Leave it in the comments. Are there comments? I don't even know. If you can find a comment place, go ahead. Do your best. Try to leave it. That'd be funny. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your dad, tell your mailman, tell all those people I always tell you to tell. And I will see you next time.